Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another Anatomy of Movie. Today we talk about Bad Moms, the new Mila Kunis and Kristen Bell movie. Um, and we've got a lot to discuss, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you who know me... I love a good comedy, and today we're talking about Bad Moms. We have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And I'm Phil Svitek. I really wish we had a mom on the panel. We were trying to get one, a fun mom. If you guys are AfterBuzz fans, Maria Provenzano tweeted her and let her know that you want her on the panel. She could have been, but um, she's not. But we digress. <laughs> yeah. Um, welcome to Anatomy of Movie. We assume that you've seen the movie, so it's going to be very spoiler-filled. Um, that's our kind of viewpoint of it. We'll talk about development, the story, the editing, and so forth. Uh, but before any of that, let's start with overall impressions. You, Marissa, did you like it? I was very excited to see this movie because, as you know, with all of our other anatomy shows, I'm a big fan of Kristen Bell. And I, you know, so anything she's in, I will immediately be the first one to watch it. Um, I, I saw this before you, by the way, so you weren't the first. Well, I was busy working. Um, so I, I was excited to see this film. And, it, you know, I, I liked it because it had heart. It was light and funny at some moments. It was relatable throughout the whole film. And then, yes, it got raunchy at some point, so it had the bad aspect. I like the fact that the idea of bad had, you know, like a dual meaning and message in this film. And overall, I felt like this is a great film for women to see at all generations and and at all ages you don't have to be a mom to enjoy this film i'm not a mother but i just be over 17 yes but like i'm not a mother but i enjoyed this film Uh, yeah you know uh i i like a good comedy i like raunchy comedies we just did uh dave and mike need wedding dates that to me was a fun movie um you know uh, a little while ago we did sisters we just did ghostbusters um, I'm a huge fan of 21 and Over, obviously the Hangover series, so I like a good comedy. And um, it, this was a little bit different than what I expected it to be in terms of what I was marketed. Um, you know, I thought uh, overall, like, I, I thought it was going to kind of be like a one-night type of thing, much like 21 and Over or The Hangover, mm-hmm. where things happen over the course of one day. Or um, This was, you know, over the course of at least a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, but... You know, so it's different than what I expected, but it was it was good. You know, and I, I thought everyone everyone did a good job, and I thought they they fleshed out the characters really, really well, and they were believable. I I agree. I think for you know we had a lot of women in this film that was driving everything, but they I felt all of them were distinctly different and had the different personalities, and they brought different aspects to this film that made them very individual. Which and memorable, all of them. You you can remember what all of them did, and that's what I enjoyed for having six women, like pretty much spearheading this film. It, it was fun to watch. Exactly, um, I, I I agree with you there, hundred percent. Now, uh, going back before we dive into story, um, this was in development not too long. Um, you know, John Lucas and Scott Moore were set to direct this um, based on their script. Um, it was going through Apatow um, pictures, and, and Apatow was going to be sort of attached to it. Um, Leslie Mann, she was going to be one of the actresses in it. That didn't quite work out. I'm so glad it didn't, because that would have been a completely different film. I would have, I felt like it would have been a longer film with jokes, the same jokes drawn out for too long. What we call Apatowing it. 
and, and I'm not big fan of Leslie Mann either. So like, I'm glad that it wasn't on her, but spread throughout six women. And in a way, like you know, I, I commend what Aptow has done. You know, they they were responsible. Uh, you know, kind of in that space. Um, you know, in terms of of women, they've kind of brought them to a little bit sunlight in the comedy world but um i'm glad somebody else is also picking up that mantle that it doesn't just have to be aptow mm-hmm. you yeah. know so and, and the more that progresses the more we can have of this stuff you know we don't because obviously he worked on train wreck and that was a great movie but uh you know I'm, I'm glad someone else picked up paramount was supposed to be the one that uh really picked up the ball but it went to stx entertainment in the end for distribution yeah, and um, Mila Kunis said in interviews that STX gave them like a, a bigger budget than what they thought they were starting off with, and they gave them more creative freedom for this film, especially when it came to the writing and acting over over the writing. Um, so it STX like really helped promote and gave this film the ability to do what they wanted to do, which is great, you know. And in in terms of John Lucas and Scott Moore, I mean they've already proven themselves they've done the hangover series 21 and over um the change up and, and whatnot so uh you know they have a history with comedy um, that they do and but this was their first diving into a comedy with with women um and i, I like this great you know where they came from because both of these guys john lucas and scott moore they're married and they have wives and it was more so it the genesis was that they were just watching their wives just you know, go through their emotions every single day and always feeling at the end of the day that, like, they didn't do enough or that still worried over the idea of, like, oh, was I a good parent today? Am I a bad parent? And they just, you know, watch their wives just go through all these, and they're like, you know, maybe we could do run with this kind of idea. Yeah, no, in, in, in some sort of way, it was also their homage to them, you know, because obviously when, when you work in Hollywood, you work very lit, long hours and, and it's ongoing, and so... Yeah, a lot of the burden did fall on the wives, and so this was kind of them making up to them. Yeah, acknowledging like, a movie for you. Yes, acknowledging that they do work hard, and you know they aren't even they try, and their efforts are being um, you know considered. I like that getting recognized. Exactly, um, and they they did uh, we, we, um, with the Secret Life of Pets. We talked about like where the writers interviewed a lot of pets and pet owners. Well, not pets. But pet owners. Mm-hmm. Um, this they they went through the time and, and really st- sort of got to know mothers and, and, and interviewed mothers and kind of what they were going through to to be able to pull out specifics. Yeah, and um, because uh, their wives and whatnot, they ha- apparently they held a lot of social gatherings and stuff, and the wives would bring their girlfriends, and they pretty much just sat and observed what the natural conversations these women would bring up about their everyday circumstances. They're like, yeah, we can pull that story. That sounds good. And pull that. And, you know, that's pretty much where the writing came from. Circumstances and circumcisions. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Which is also based on another story, too. Um, Yeah. You know, and and we were joking about it, uh, how one of the best lines in the movie is when – when Gwendolyn is so frustrated and then the the cherry on top is her talking about Castle not being DVR'd. I mean, that the DVR stops. I mean, it's totally relatable because that happened to me. And we work in television and we know when it's frustrating when your your favorite show just stops and you can't keep continuing watching what you love. Yeah, that's frustrating. And to add all that on the other added pressures you have, 
Yeah, it's believable, and I laughed a lot at that. Well, that too, you know, and and it was just, it just in that moment, while it's funny, it also spells out a deep sadness of who Gwendolyn is, <laughs> and so the fact that you can pinpoint that because it's one thing. You know, we're we're lucky enough that we get to talk about TV and movies pretty much all day. And, and yes, there's work that's associated with it. And, and it's as hard as it may be, you know, at the end of the day, we're not in the position of these people. And so, like, that that's their one escape. Yeah. And so you could see the sadness of what that really means. So to get that specificity throughout the entire mm-hmm. movie was, was great to see. Yeah. And that castle story uh, was based off of a true situation that happened with Christina Applegate. One day she went to the set and she was like very distraught and they're like, oh, what's wrong? She's like, my DVR just stopped recording Castle. Can that happen? Does that happen to other people? And they're like, yeah, I guess so. It happened to me personally. So I, I know what that's like. The struggle is real. You and Christina saying one and the same. <laughs> we could be. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, th- I think it's very relatable and they, they pull out all those moments and, you know, we, we talked about it uh, before we started, but Actually, we, we, uh, you know, sorry, I sometimes forget what we talk about off air and what we don't. But, uh, you know, in terms of the six women, they're all identifiable. And it's that that's the great part about it, because, you know, whatever perspective you come at it as a mom, you can relate to at least one of them, uh, you know, and sometimes you can relate to multiple one, uh, moms. But uh, th- that's the fun part about it is that they are that fleshed out um, in terms of characters, which who's who, who would you gravitate towards most? Uh, well, I'm not a mother, but I, I'm definitely like the the follower type. I'm not really the follower. The, you're, you're Kristen Bell. Oh yeah, a little bit. You know, the one who's like always the the yes person who just like puts their head down and put and you know does the work and gets frustrated every once in a while and hopes that someone would eventually notice and maybe want to help. I'm that kind of person. <laughs> uh, I think I would be more like most like Carla. Really? Okay. Well, uh, bullheaded, um, pushy in a, in a good way, gets people to do stuff. Um, sometimes loud and obnoxious and crude. Crude and rude. C- crude and rude. Uh, I agree I don't with know, that know. If assessment. I'm being honest, I think I'd be the most like Carla. <laughs> I agree with that assessment. You know, maybe I could be like a Gwendolyn, but uh, again, there's just so much sadness in there that I, I don't know. I don't think I'd be, you know, Gwendolyn exemplifies, exemplifies leadership. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's me. But I'm glad which I mean, if we're going to get into Gwendolyn just a little bit, but I'm glad that she was such a terrible, horrible person. Just coming from the writing aspect, I was like, there has to be something deeper within Gwendolyn's character for her to be that uptight. There's something else going on that's making her be like this. And I'm glad that they actually delved into that rather than just like, no, she's just a straight up bitch. You know, you know, it's kind of mean girls do the same thing. It's it's um, it's always nice to see that they do have a motive, and like I said, it's a, it's a very sad motive. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the one through line for each, they they they're looking for recognition or um, some sort of validation. And obviously, you know, while everyone else is kind of searching for that, Gwendolyn, um, rather than. You know, she takes matters into her own hands, and she'll just demand it and, and create a falsified version of it. But as we know, at the end of it, that's not what brings her happiness because it's fake. It's yeah, not real. absolutely. And especially when we were learning the backstory that like her husband's always working and never there. Feels like her work and being a leadership is the only way she can have power and control of her life, and she, therefore it brings her satisfaction that she has other people that she can control rather than having like a husband who's 
to support and control as well. So she compensated for that. Very much so. I mean, so much. Remember when she's storming out of the the sort of bake sale and she knocks over the lady and the lady goes, I'm sorry, Gwendolyn. (laughs) Yeah. Help. But like the people that placate to to Gwendolyn and just like goes along with her because they're just so afraid of her. I found actually funny. And and to what just defining what she found uh, to be. Uh, of importance, right? How what, what I liked about it? How many times is she calling emergency PTA meetings? And this <laughs> yep. and that. And as uh, as Amy gets there, she's like, "Wait, are you for real? This is what the emergency is." Mm-hmm. The bake sale. It's yeah. a serious thing. It is. <laughs> but let's set an actual time right. and and just commit that that's when we're doing it, not like emergency meeting two p.m. today. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, her um, priorities of, you know, what is an emergency and whatnot are a bit skewed for people, <laughs> especially for so. her. She's like the real housewife of whatever town they're in. <laughs> I don't know. Too much time on her Outside hands. of Chicago, apparently. Um, but let's, uh, let, let's just kind of backtrack real fast. Let's talk about the, the not, I was going to say the title character, but she's not Amy. Regardless, she's one of our main people, yeah. um, and she's who we see the most change out of. Uh, what, what did you think of Mila Kunis slash Amy? I like Mila Kunis. I, I think she's great. I've you know watched her in years for that '70s show to see her grow up into this type of role. Um, I I kind of got over the fact that she's a young mother because they, I liked how they explained like she had a child when she was twenty. And therefore, she didn't really spend her 20s, so she wants to be bad now. Like, I I immediately got that. Um, Acting-wise, I mean, it's not, like, the most dramatic role, but I felt like it was very the most realistic. Because I've witnessed mothers who, you know, go through the motions and do their best and put their families first before their own and always be late. And I found that very relatable. And the fact that she's slowly getting frustrated every single day, that she can't do things for her and her own self-pleasure and happiness. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is a woman that's like, girl, she just needs a break. And like, I get that. Yeah. I I mean, the, the only part of it that the movie that I found really over the top and unrealistic everything else was at least grounded in reality but the coffee shop place where she worked at um i I thought was just slightly over the top i think you know just the whole idea that businesses like this is ran by a bunch of millennials is not a smart idea (laughs) (laughs) well you know she kept being like hey i only work for you part-time i don't actually work here right like oh no I i need you i need you to do this yeah, and the fact that they kind of made fun that even she's she's in her young thirties, uh, early thirties and whatnot, and that they may pegged her out to be the older one, like the oldest grandpa in the room. I was like, no, that's well, not part believable. of it. Was how she dressed? She kept wearing With pants, blazers, suits. and yeah. suits, yeah. but she was the most professional. Again, but that wasn't the value of the company. Apparently Again, which not. was why it just it just seemed slightly unrealistic. The coffee, though. I mean, I, I'm. That would probably be a fun place to just visit. Try, try all the coffees. Yes. You know, there's places like that, right? I know. I want to go. Like, a, like almost like a beer brewery, but for coffee. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and I, I thought the progression of her and the way the her and Carla and Kiki came together um, was really well done. It seemed 
mm-hmm. you know, it flowed with the story, and, and it was very much happenstance. It was it was a meet cute type of moment when they when they're all upset and they meet at this bar, um, and then just kind of go from there. Yeah, I like the the relationships that I felt like that was a natural um, formation of relationships. Also, with you know Amy, the fact that she played. Uh, you know, opposites with Gwendolyn. She was the one who actually wanted to actively stand up to Gwendolyn when no one else wouldn't. And I like that. I was like, every on top of everything else you're already doing, now you want to go up for this big position. I'm like, good for you. And uh, that I like that. And it's not that her character had a lot to grow off because she was already, you know, pretty high. Um, but I like the fact that she was strong enough to stand up for what she thought was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even the the part of it that I sort of did question um, was the divorce side of it for Amy. But even that, like, you know, while you don't, I don't know. I part, the reason I say that is I don't necessarily want to condone divorce or like push towards it. But it, you know, as they find out in the therapist's office, they're not meant for each other. Yeah. And you know what? I like. I'm not the biggest fan of divorce either, but it happens, and I found that very realistic. And the fact that they got married so young, also very, very realistic. That hopefully that's a lesson. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can only imagine some 22 year old mom watching them. It's like, oh shit. Yeah. But you know that I found that whole therapy session with Wanda Sykes was pretty funny. They're like, yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's no fixing this issue you guys have going on. Yeah. Uh, so I thought they pulled, you know, and that, that is a realistic thing. Again, just, just all these things that uh, moms and, and wives actually deal with. So and to show that side of it, too, in, in a realistic and fleshed out sort of way, as much as uh, Wanda Sykes can be realistic. And, and she could be over the top, too, in, in rules. But I thought she was pretty funny. Oh, that, that, that was a great scene. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And a great cameo from her. Um, and I liked... The, Right, that we, we we keep talking about the six, but uh, what I liked is that you know they they directly mirror each other, and you know in terms of here's there's a leader, um, there there's kind of like uh, Carla's very much a pusher, so you don't necessarily get that from uh, Stacy Jada Pinkett's character. Yeah, um, this is what we call the leader follower and wannabe trope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, poor Vicky, like. She's kind of the bridge to all of it, where she's like, I like that, but can't we just mm-hmm. be together? The wannabe. Um, I liked it because, yes, there was three on one side and three on the other, and uh, but they all were still very different, and I, I feel that kind of storyline. I, I don't know. I relate to it because, um, well, uh, just go back a little bit. In, in high school, I was part of a play that we were literally called leader, follower, and wannabe. And I was the follower character. So, like, I know that mentality of there's always someone that you want to aspire to is always leading everything. And then there's the follower who's always, like, agreeing with everything you go through. But sometimes are also conflicted, but they still go along with it. And then the wannabe who doesn't really fit in but is still there. And this film had that in Two different ways. Yeah, Vicky was very much that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Why do we still hang out with you? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, so, and what I liked about it, it's it's also relatable to guys in the sense that there's always that one friend that everyone just bags on, and you hang out with them, mm-hmm. but because that's the fun is that you get to just just 
anything that any frustrations you have, you just get to kind of take it out on them and just be like, "Well, you're so stupid. Yeah. You're this, or why, why, whatever." And and uh, you know why you hang out with them? It's because it makes you feel like you're better than you actually are. Exactly. But like you keep them around, even though you don't want to. But you still keep them around in your circle. Yes, indeed. Um, now I'll let you have your moment to talk about Jay Hernandez, aka Jesse, <laughs> mm. the the hot widower. Yes. Okay. I'm. I'm. I've always been a fan of Jay Hernandez. Um, plus, he's gorgeous. Um, but you know, I loved him in Crazy Beautiful, and I think that was probably the first film I like really recognized him. Everyone but, got to know him in that. Oh, so good, Spoon. Um, but I think he did a really out of all the estrogen that this film definitely has. Like, I thought he really brought some macho into this film to had to be a nice balance towards towards Amy. And especially, you know, she was having problems with her own husband. It's just... He was like a hillbilly. Something... Like, who the hell was that guy? Yeah, he really was. But it was fun to have, you know, Jesse come into the picture and, like, actually help kind of keep Amy a little bit sane. Mm-hmm. And also just be a companion towards her. I was all for it. I, li- I did like the fact that they took the women to such an interesting world... And then the guys are on the other side of it, like, just not fully understanding it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I can think of, like, the soccer coach where he's like, what is wrong with you, Gwendolyn? <laughs> right. It's like, no, I'm just, I'm just working. Yeah. Can't, can't you just leave me alone? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I did like that side of it. And yet, yeah, you know, where, where Jesse is able to kind of bring Amy out of her funk. Um, and then you just have, you have, because Amy's husband is just completely detached from the world of Amy. Um, so much he's been, 10 months he's been cheating. Well, yeah. Not cheating, like, cheating, but just jerk off cheating. Yeah, but that's still emotionally cheating. Um, yeah, I liked how Jesse, also because we learn immediately that his character is a widower, so, like, he has that parental connection to these women, and I like that he comes pretty much from the same place of she's kind of now, Amy's kind of now a single mom, too, going through all this, and he, he's gone through all this, and... He comes from a relatable perspective to help her along this. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it made for a crazy party. Which, by mm. <laughs> I love the I love the fact that it's Martha Stewart that is the compelling factor of any party. I laughed. I was like, "Well, if Martha Stewart is at your party, you immediately win." Obviously. What if you get Oprah? Who wins, Martha Stewart or Oprah? Probably Oprah. All right, so the Oprah but Trumps. Martha Stewart's better known for the cooking, <laughs> so and she's handing out the uh, the goods and the Jello shots. I was like, I'd have a Jello shot from Martha Stewart, thank you. Yeah, but Oprah is known for, and you get a cookie, and you get a cookie, and you get a cookie. Very true. Oprah would buy the Jello shots, and it would be gold. <laughs> um, but I like the the cameo with Martha Stewart, and because the fact that she started off at Gwendolyn's party and then move over to Amy's was even better. <laughs> That what? Who wouldn't want to stay at my Martha Stewart? And right. uh, again, the ultimate joke of it all is they party so crazy, but by 11 p.m. <laughs> Everyone's out. Yeah, I did, I did appreciate that part of it. Um, any other, what, what are some of the most fun moments that you enjoyed in the movie? Well, obviously the supermarket scene okay. was hysterical to watch. Um, I'm not sure about you, but watching it, it's probably one of the most mundane task you can do 
even though like I enjoy grocery stores, I worked in a grocery store for five years, so like I actually enjoy grocery store shopping. But the the way that the women set up, they're like, oh, I have to shop, you know. It's something that it's just an added chore that they hate doing every single day. But they had so much fun doing the most stupid things, like well, making opening white cereal Russians. boxes, yeah, r- white Russians, and making out with store clerks and whatnot. I thought it was super hysterical, and the fact that like there was. The parting, like opening up and destroying everything, and then they took a moment to stop in it and and like uh, cuddle over this baby. It was such a mom moment. I'm like, oh, and then they get back into it. I thought it was a uh, pretty well done. I, I like that scene too, and um, you know, they they talked about how it was tough to figure out the right store to do it because you know most places don't want you actually shooting in there, um, especially if you're just going to be doing just. just basically having a food fight oh yeah i mean shoot it, it sucks when things get destroyed in a supermarket because someone does have to clean it up trust clean me. up on an aisle yeah exactly <laughs> everyone I've, I've actually done that a few times um gone over with pa system to call up clean up so that's a real thing but also the store that they were in that uh it didn't it wasn't a 24-hour store so it had a definitive amount of time to work and they can only film at night. So their turnaround wasn't that much between the time that they had to close and shoot to the time they had to open again for the stock people to restock all the shelves. And so uh, that, that's why I believe they only had like a four, four hours to film that Superstore scene. Well, the good news is you can just kind of have fun with it. And it's a, it's a montage, so it doesn't quite have to be linear and, or make sense. You mm-hmm. just, just shoot them and cut it however you want. Uh, absolutely, and uh, they said for filming of the supermarket scene that they purposely put it in slow motion to make it interesting, like more funny, mm-hmm. more so because it's just eating cereal that's kind of boring at a regular pace. But if you put it in slow motion and you watch people like collapse into crash into boxes and whatnot, it's funnier when it's slow motion. That and they picked the great song. Uh, it's the one we opened up with. Um, I like it by Kind of Pop, and mm-hmm. and so and and also just. They played it well with the cop um, or security guard always kind of looming, and they they keep looking at him, um, and and that was the foil in the in this entire thing. Yeah, and I liked how they you know we had the occasional shots of just the regular shoppers just looking at them, being like, "What are you doing?" But in some ways, it was fun. Some of the women were like, "I so want to do that." <laughs> right. Um, and that's kind of what was the driving factor through this, and. Um, I thought the overall theme of it when when they came back, uh, you know, she's giving the speech and she says like, you know, hey, we all just want to know if we're good moms, but there's no, you know, your kid's gonna grow to be eighteen and that by then you're gonna know, but it's also too late. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's okay if we're not the best mothers as long as we're trying. Actually, and I think that's a real deep message that I feel like. I mean, I'm not a parent. But I truly believe a lot of parents feel that way just based off of the interviews and stories that I hear from people that they're always concerned if their child that they raised, you know, turns out to be the best person that they can be. And that's so, and you know, doing the best to protect them every single day, but also like give them what they want and reflecting that you did the best you could at the end of the day. I believe that's totally believable. And that that was great to see too. And, you know, uh, Amy was definitely overprotecting her kids. And so now at the end, when, when uh, he learns how to cook, you know, and and he says, I'm going to do my homework now. Like, obviously that's, you know, she was very proud of that moment. And 
you know, it wasn't the best means of achieving that goal. There's other means where you don't have to be a bad mom and make right Russians while running through the <laughs> supermarket. But again, it, it, it's kind of interesting that way that, that they dealt with that in a real significant way. Yeah, and I like that. And apparently she was doing something right because it, it conveyed the message that, hey, these kids also have to change because they were entitled. Yeah. And I know a lot of kids who are also spoiled because their parents want to do too much for their kids to the point where it's not helping them, actually. Yeah, we have one person right now who's coming to the studio. (laughs) You won't say the name. No. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, this Mm -hmm. person, uh, you know. It's it's a real thing, though. But, you know, and it it is a fine balance. Like, even with the host here, we manage a lot of them. And I'm like, should I be tougher on these people or not? Um, again, the person I'm joking about um, doesn't know how to kind of find uh, a way th- through life. Doesn't have, know to how do to do things on their own. So my joke is, uh, this is a her. So my joke is with her, I, I'll drive out in the middle of nowhere, seven hours away, and I'll say, "Get out and find your way home." Mm-hmm. And that may seem, seem tough, but like that, that sometimes that's the type of education people need. And yeah, it's very relatable, and it sucks that we unfortunately don't have a mom on this panel. I know. But we, had, for one. but we had good mothers, you two, you, know, you and I, we, we had good mothers that, you know, raised us right. It's because my mom was like, you fend for yourself. Right, exactly. I ain't dealing with your problems. I'll yeah, help you. My... You're going to do your homework and stuff like that, and I'll cook for you, but you ain't. <laughs> See, my mom always cooked for me, therefore I never really properly learned how to cook. But other than that... I think I turned I know how to cook right. for myself is what I'll say. Yeah, same here. Um, and if I really wanted to, I can make a good meal. But, um, you know, so let's talk about um, let's talk about the editing style of it, right? Emma Hickox and James Thomas, uh, who have done a lot of comedies. Brothers Grimsby, most recently. Muppets mm-hmm. Most Wanted. Um, Hot Tub Time Machine. Um, and then some of the more serious, A Walk to Remember miracles from heaven so a kind of weird dichotomy it's a, between the two it's an interesting balance too you got the like the romantic side movies with emma and then the comedy side with james and i think that's the perfect marriage of bad moms so you had the female driven movies compared to the uh, the comedy and um also these two have worked together for years and whatnot on on a lot of films and they, they actually have a lot of experience in music video editing. Therefore, the montages, like the party scene and the supermarket scenes, are generally edited to the beat of whatever song that they used. And it felt like a very music video type of, if you isolate that and cut it out of the film, they're, they're very standalone scenes by themselves, which are also very entertaining. Are you going to watch the party scene over and over on repeat as you, as you pregame for any weekend? <laughs> Not the party scene, but the supermarket scene I've actually seen a few times. Okay. Um, yeah, and, you know, see that, obviously there's a ton of music in this, um, very recognizable music, and, and I, I like different, uh, you can go from Demi Lovato, Iconopop, and then to Foreigner, um, with, I want to know what love is when Gwendolyn <laughs> is just bawling her eyes out in the car, and it's just so recognizable, and you're like, poor woman. Aww. And that's why, that's why, hence, it, it, even just musically, it punches up that castle joke <laughs> all the more. She's just a sad person. Um, I like, it's on the nose. I want to know what so, love is. Because she, she probably doesn't have real love in her life. That's the sad part. Um, I, I like the music uh, every time it came on. Because I remember thinking, watching this film, I was like, wow, that's a very notable song right now. And I felt like the music made this movie very timely, which also maybe hindered it, but not. 
Um, but the the soundtrack, there, there wasn't really any orchestral score underneath it. It was just like more poppy, recognizable songs. Yeah, I mean, we had, I, the problem with comedies, I, I think comedies are much more easy to consume, and I, you know, unlike with unlike with The Revenant, right? Let's just take a movie like that. You're not necessarily gonna revisit it that much. No, you know what I mean. And so it needs to be. Cons- it, it's, it's kind of more consumed in the moment, and that's it because. I don't know. I, that's just the way I view comedies. They don't necessarily have the, a shelf life in that respect. But but also, it, the the way they transcend, to me, is not just by the music. I think a movie like this um, does have legs because it's a good movie, and then the music's just the music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think again, years from now or whatever, like if you hear it, so be it. That's just the, you know, much in the same way, like. Uh, you and I like heavyweights. Yeah, it's got very different music, and at this hot time, like it's very dated music. But that doesn't negate the movie. No, absolutely not. So I would I would put too much stock in the music, uh, hindering this in terms of whether or not it uh, it achieves its greatness. It's very comedy. you know like light music, uh, light how, fun music. How would you compare this to uh, to a movie like Sisters or Bridesmaids um, or one that's kind of male driven 21 and over or even just recently ghostbusters um i i felt like all those movies had you know timely music in it as well well not in terms I mean, of music but... just 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 story and oh, characters stories? yeah forget well, music i i feel like bad moms there there was good humanistic realistic element to it that people can find um they had their moments of craziness, which I feel a lot of us in real life, we can have our one crazy night, and we're like, oh, man, that was so much fun. And then, but in the, it got, it always got back to real, back to reality, and I enjoyed that. Um, for Bridesmaids, which was, like, supposed to be over-the-top raunchy, oh, my God, I can't believe this actually happened within their stories, I found it was too over-the-top where it wasn't realistic. Whereas the Bad Moms in here, they got one crazy night, and I'm like, yeah, anyone could do that. Yeah, you know, uh, all the main actresses are moms too, and uh, they did say like th- that these guys, even though they're they're guys, they nailed the writing so much so even with the circumcision scene, um, <laughs> you know, because they said like women talk about this stuff. Yeah, I know, I believe it, and the, because I mean, and also relatable to uh, Amy's story, she's only been with one guy. What if that did happen? She wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. But I think that was also Catherine Hans just comedy in her uh, of her talents and she just went with that scene it was technically it was already written but she just ad lived more on top of that joke and it mm. just became a running thing of like two minute joke of what do you do when you face an uncircumcised penis uh, yes well That's we exactly got that. what you do we got that answer yeah so uh poor kristen bell she had to become a penis <laughs> She what? She was the penis in that in, in that example. Like, <laughs> I'm never wearing this sweater again. Yeah, uh, yeah, hmm, yeah. Awkward, uh, but still funny. Um, but you know, so because we're used to seeing guys in that role and then kind of talking about these things, and you know, between the Geppetto with the bra and this mm-hmm. and that, and uh, you know, it, it brought. Uh, it, it, it brought that side to it that women do talk about this stuff. Again, maybe not to the full extent that most guys do, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean they don't talk about it. It's very true. Um, uh, 
I, you know, I would compare this movie a lot to Sisters. Although Sisters, I think, was a little bit more forgettable. This one, I think, might have more legs than Sisters, but we'll see. I think so too. I think Sisters was a fun that that was an over the top kind of film too. It had its fun moments, but the whole overall story isn't as memorable as Bad Moms was. Yeah, because that was just like two girls that just wanted to uh, have one last party. And, yeah, and reconnect. Just and fun. Sweet, but not. You know, I thought I thought this cut deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so much so that I mean, they 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 made a whole campaign of this. Like, moms go out and see this movie, and a lot of moms went together. Like, this was their mom. This was mom's night out. Was it seeing did. this movie, which I thought is brilliant marketing. It's very smart. And STX also uh, had another promotional event too, where you know they they definitely utilized the social media game. And on Twitter, they had they started something which was called uh, Hashtag Bad Mom Moments, where people can send in their photos and little mini blurbs of what their stories were of the bad parenting moments where they thought they were bad mm. bad moms. And people were sending in photos like, there was one time uh, I left my kid at a playground and he was eating a bunch of sand, you know, stuff like that. And it's it's pretty fun, but also realistic because this these are from real women in the yeah. world, sharing their stories. So it's not just these women in the film, but it happens yeah. every day. Yeah, part of it brings you into that community, and then the other side of it kind of perhaps horrifies you of like, oh my god, <laughs> right. this is what really goes on. Yeah, I mean, Mila Kunis sh- uh, shared a story where she she vowed to never like tell us, but she did, and that there was one day she her child that she didn't fully properly buckle her child in the child's care seat mm-hmm. um, properly. And she, she felt like she was a bad mother. She's like, oh, my God, I did that. And then her husband, Ashton Kutcher, did the exact same thing like the next day. So it's not just for women, but guys do it, too. Well, we're not here to talk about the guys, okay? <laughs> it's true. But I'm saying that just like e- even they have done it because all six of these women are mothers in real life. And they've, they've all shared their bad moments. Yeah, um, but it is, it, you know it is that frightening, you know, to, to see how you would mess it up. Um, there, we'll get into box office numbers, but it was interesting. Um, there's there's a group of fifty moms, right? And this is why, to me, like that campaign was successful of bring bring out moms to go see this movie. Fifty moms and and uh, their kids went out to see this movie, um, and somewhere uh, I think it might have been Florida. Um, Actually, yeah, it was Florida, and and uh, two moms had toddlers, and they were not allowed to see the movie. And so, most of the women—I can't say all the, all the moms—but most of the women took a stance, and they're like, "We're not going to go see this movie then at this theater." Mm, good for them. Um, but if you're that theater, like, really, you got fifty moms. That basically is the entirety of the <laughs> the theater. audience. Yeah, just let them watch. It, it, they were all fine with it. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, it, and th- I think, like, to reject those people who had toddlers, it's like, that's the whole message of the movie. These are mothers. Yeah. Like, and they're bringing their child with, and sometimes they have to. Like, if you brought your kid to Jason Bourne or, like, Hostel, let's just say, then I'd be like, what the hell? Like, you right. are a bad then mom. That's a bad mom moment. But, but you and your girlfriends go out, and you bring your kids because you don't have like Okay. Fine. Couldn't you, get a babysitter. And, like, you have to kind of, what I'm saying is you have to contextualize it Mm -hmm. if you're that uh, theater. And they just didn't, and, you know, it ended up being a pretty big story. Hmm. Well, 
did they, because I don't really know the whole story, Did were they allowed into the theater? Or? They were not allowed into the theater. They got oh, refunded no. and whatnot, but they're just like, we can't let toddlers into an R-rated movie. Mm. Like, well, it's, come mm, on. Yeah, I know. Obviously the mom, like, just let the mom be the mom. Yeah. If 21-year-olds can let other kids older than toddler age into R-rated movies, then mothers can bring their own child, and their own children into bad moms. Oh. It's just uh, so wow. it was an interesting story, but again, it kind of goes to speaks to the success of it. This is this you know moms are seeing this in droves. It's good. Yeah. It's good. It's definitely geared towards that demographic. So, um, so much so that uh, that they've made a total of thirty five million uh, opening weekend, twenty three million, which you know for a comedy, admirable. Yeah, the, the budget was twenty million. Yeah. So they're they're, they're bound to make their money back. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's good between, like, um, a bunch of all these summer movies that's being sequels or comic book movies and whatnot that, like, this is just a simple movie. That, that's for geared, women. It's a different it's demographic. Yeah. It's counter-programming that it's obviously working for them. Yeah, like, a mom is not going to want to see X-Men and Marvel and then Jason Bourne. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. enough. What about me? Yeah. And this is that perfect comedy. Yeah. It's like... Good for this. Um, and I think this film definitely has a rewatchability factor. Very much so. And, you know, it, it gets a better score than Jason Bourne is what I I'll know, say. I On Rotten Tomatoes, they give it a 64, which for comedy, like most comedies that we do here on Anatomy, like they come in at like 9%, 23%, 20, yeah. 40% if we're lucky. Uh, but so t- for this to get a 64%, that's really good. And it's pretty you high. know what? What what I like is more and more recently, um, these movies are also being judged kind of just on their own merit. We don't have to be like, oh well, just because it's an all female driven uh, movie, then we have to give it a couple of bonus points just for that. It's like no, we can judge it. Just is it a good movie or is it a bad movie? No, I enjoyed it because I felt like this film had a lot of balance of comedy. There was some slapstick comedy in there where when it came to the bra and being knocked over by one of those soccer players, you know. So there's a physical aspect to it. Then also just the humor, intelligent jokes that Kristen Bell and Catherine Hahn, you know, riff-raffed on their own. And uh, so, like, there was comedy in all different forms in this film. I agree. Would you want a sequel to Bad Moms? I don't know if it warrants for a sequel because we had these women, they overcame their, you know, disappointments and what was frustrating them. And they all kind of grew along with their husbands that they were But maybe pacing. it could be a new cast and it would be called Batter Moms. But who would you cast for Batter Moms? I don't know, something different. The, the thing is, like, I liked these six women that they casted that I wouldn't want to see another complete different group I don't know. to play Bad Moms. I, you, I don't necessarily want to see this be franchised because that's uh, that, that keeps bad, happening. Bad Moms 2, Bad but, Daughters. But, I, but, I, but what I commend them, like, it's a great title. Bad Moms. Simple and to the point. You mm-hmm. you know 100% what you're getting into. Um, it just acts as Bad Moms 2, Bad Daughters. Oh. I mean, in some sense that could be funny. Well, the daughters would have to, you know, grow up a little bit because all these kids were, you know, grade school levels. So, wow. Maybe, maybe in a couple years. But I mean, if they came out with a sequel, I'd probably watch it. But the the fact that 
that these the three women, you know, Mila and Catherine and Kristen, their characters with their significant others, they like kind of changed their ways too. Like the guy, he got the divorce with Mila's got the divorce with the guy, so he's out of the picture. But you have Jay, and you, you have Jesse. But then uh, even uh, Kristen Bell's character, like her man, was starting to not actually help her out. So. I'll see. Well, I, I like Zach's suggestion to bad grandmothers because <laughs> because it's natural progression. Once after you after you've been a mom and your kids have kids, then mm-hmm. you're like, well, I'm not actually need to do any parenting with the grandchild, so I'm just going to spoil the crap out of them. And does that make you a bad grandmother? That could be fun. Maybe. To play with. I don't well, know. Like we'll they, see. They tried doing what was it, bad grandpa? And all well, that. Well, that was just that was just a different type that was yeah that's not along the same premises of this but i mean bad grandmothers if there was like you know the the older generation that was trying to be bad which is so ironic right now because i feel that current generation bad moms meet grumpy old men bad yes (laughs) there you go i would totally watch that there you go see i just came up with a great movie there you go all right um that about wraps it up for us um, if there's anything that you guys would li- like to discuss further, just ask us. Tell us in the comments section. We'll we'll chit chat there. Um, so yeah. And in the meantime, also you can tweet at Marissa or interact with her at at Serafini TV. That's right. And at popcorn at the popcorn talk here. Um, thank you guys for joining us. We've done tons of other movies. So some of the ones I mentioned: Sisters, Ghostbusters. Um, I believe we did Twenty One Over, but I forget. Um, so definitely check those out in the coming weeks. We're going to be Suicide Squad, Nerve, uh, Sausage Party, Wag, uh, War Dogs. That's another comedy. So a lot of comedies coming up, actually. So that's, you know, I love comedy. Uh, Dave and Mike need wedding dates. We've done those. Um, so definitely check those out. We just recently did Jason Bourne, if, if you also saw that. Um, yeah, that's it for us. We'll see you hopefully next time on another Anatomy of a Movie. Producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.